Inquirers, and welcome to an unconventional episode of Increase of Our Reality. I say unconventional because it's kind of like a swap cast, it's kind of like a roundtable, but it kind of took on its own feel and intention in the aspect of we had one idea that we we're going to talk about going in, uh, kind of started off as like a roundtable type of concept. That, that was that was the base of what it was because we originally had one of, one of the people that's going to be on the show today that came to me and another podcaster about wanting to do this specific roundtable. And in turn, it ended up, I feel, turning into something that you guys are really going to enjoy. Um, it gets really, really deep into possible theories, possible explanations. Um, it's not done in the typical roundtable format. So that being said, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it because it's almost kind of like how the open-minded conversations happen on this show where it just kind of expands and goes into what it wants to go into, um, but without all the messy, not fun stuff of a typical roundtable. So hopefully you guys won't be thrown off by the name of Swapcast or Roundtable because I don't really want to categorize it as either of those, um, but I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one today. So before we get into it, of course, um, we got to do all the front of house stuff. So if you guys don't mind taking an extra five seconds to leave a rating on Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. Um, Or if you guys are willing to take an extra 30 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, then of course, I will give you a shout out on the show and hopefully read it on the show if it's a five star review. And if you're not already, uh, don't forget to go and follow the show on social media. Um, the one that I'm the most active on is Instagram, um, but I'm also trying to build up the uh, Telegram and the Discord. Uh, there is a Facebook, but anything from that usually just kind of gets pushed off of from the Instagram because that's the easiest for me to use. Um, Facebook's just full of spam and just a bunch of other bullshit now. But of course, I still have it because I know that a bunch of you guys uh, still still use that as a main source of uh, social media. But that also being said with the Telegram. Uh, the Telegram, I've kind of combined everything together. So rather than there being an inquiries of our reality uh, tele- Telegram and a Bizarre Encounters Telegram, uh, I put it all under the Open Minds Media Telegram. Uh, I figured it'd be a little bit easier for me in the aspect of being able to post things and not reposting things across multiple pages. Uh, it'd be less annoying in your guys' aspect if you guys follow both of them. Uh, you're not just seeing some of the, like, the same stuff kind of get reposted in both. Try to put it all in one space. Uh, that's kind of how the Discord's going because we've been restructuring the Discord. Um, it's the Open Minds Media Discord, of course, uh, because then we can kind of incorporate everything all into one place. But we're trying to build both of those up. So if you guys don't mind popping in, uh, having some conversations, uh, posting some cool stuff, some cool stories, uh, 
the possibilities are endless. And if there's anything that you guys want me to uh, add to the Discord, for example, um, yeah, all you guys got to do is shoot me a message. I'm trying to make it as user-friendly as possible and as fun as for everybody as possible so we can start uh, connecting all of you guys and forming some kind of community because I know a lot of you guys out there just uh, want to be able to have a conversation with uh, some like-minded people, of course, and expand on your own theories and ideas. And uh, that also being said about expanding on theories and ideas, uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, if you're an author, researcher, uh, occultist, um, paranormal experiencer, uh, contactee, uh, cryptozoologist, uh, I, I can I can just keep going with this list. If you're an open-minded individual, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you. Uh, there's multiple ways to contact me. If you're interested in doing that, you guys can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, you guys can also, of course, shoot me a message on Instagram or through one of the many means of social media. Or option three would be to go to the link tree and up at the link tree, there's just a mission form. Uh, fill that out and it'll go directly to my email. Uh, more often than not, it seems like a lot of the stuff that I send out goes to the spam or junk folder. So keep an eye out there, make sure nothing gets lost because uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you guys and I don't want anything to get missed in the process. Uh, and if you guys enjoy the work that I do, I do some other shows. Bizarre Encounters is my uh, other main show uh, with my two awesome co-hosts, Orin and Jenny. Uh, just like the name says, what you're going to find over there is a bunch of interesting stories about bizarre encounters uh, pertaining to cryptids, UFOs, paranormal, um, there's some deep dives in there. Uh, there's also, of course, some interviews. Uh, it's a good mixed show, and I kind of feel like it kind of covers both dynamics, where as far as like this show goes, it's kind of like my theories and just being able to touch base on any fringe weird topic I want to touch on. And then my main thing that I like to research for myself specifically is all of the like weird encounters and bizarre phenomenon. So that's kind of kind of where the split goes. So I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy that if you guys enjoyed this show. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do, uh, I keep everything under the Open Minds Media umbrella, uh, as you could probably tell by the little uh, jingle, whatever you want to call it in the beginning of every episode that you hear of Inquiries of Our Reality and Bizarre Encounters. Uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on that, you guys can go and follow that on social media, of course. Uh, the Instagram, just like most things, is the one that I'm the most active on. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. The number one way is through the Patreon. Uh, that's the Open Minds Media Patreon. So there you don't just get this show, but you also get Bizarre Encounters and anything else that I'll be pushing out in the future. So a little bit more bang for your buck. Um, you know, with most, cre most creators, it's kind of just one show specific where this is kind of like an umbrella for a bunch of the cool stuff that I'm doing. There you'll find things such as ad-free episodes, uh, early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays if you're not able to make it to the lives of the episodes, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, exclusive giveaways. Um, I'm still trying to build it up a little bit in the aspect of figuring out what other things that I can do to kind of pull you guys into that. Um, inquiries, thoughts, and theories. If it hasn't come out already, it should be hopefully coming out soon. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive show. If you guys uh, want to go and check that out, I'll probably drop the first episode on the main feed so you guys can kind of get a little bit of a taste for it. There's multiple tiers over there, so uh, go and figure out which one seems to suit you the best. And any support, as I always say, is always appreciated. And uh, you guys can also donate to the show directly uh, through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, uh, Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. Uh, if you guys want to donate through that method, of course, uh, go all the way down in the show description. Uh, near the bottom of the page, you'll see something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. Uh, anybody that donates, please, if it doesn't give you the option, uh, please send me a message letting me know that you donated, um, just so I can, of course, give you a shot on the show, because I appreciate any support that you guys want to do, because um, my intention eventually is to hopefully be able to do this full-time, uh, because all of us want to move towards being able to do a passion that we really enjoy and be able to do it full-time. And in turn, 
Um, I'd be able to do even more research for you guys, bring you guys even more episodes, maybe even more other shows. Uh, the possibilities are endless, but the only way that I'm ever going to be able to do that is with your guys' support. So anything that you guys are willing to do as far as support, uh, I'm more than appreciate. Uh, you guys can also go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store, where just like the uh, the Patreon, you'll find all of the stuff that I do. Um, I'm always trying to add some new stuff over there. Uh, if there's anything specific that you guys might want to see, maybe like mugs or anything like that, uh, let me know and I'll see what I can do about incorporating it into the merch store. Mainly right now, it's mainly wearable items. Uh, hopefully, I can add some hats on there at some point, but uh, always trying to do something cool over there. And I request that if you guys get anything, it'd be really cool if you guys wouldn't mind sending me a picture of you wearing it because I'd love to repost it on the page, of course, and uh, give you guys a shout out for all the love and support. And uh, while you guys are loving and supporting creators, you guys can always go and check out Joe over at Crypto Geology. Uh, dude, he's been just banging out designs lately. He uh, dropped the Mothman design, then directly after that, he dropped a new Van Meter Visitor design. And personally, I love that one. Uh, I'm going to be getting myself a new stockpile of shirts here soon from him. So I'm sure you guys will be seeing me post that over on the pages. So uh, if you guys haven't checked it out already, go and pick your guys up something nice from uh, the from the Crypto Theology and from the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. What is up, guys? I am Shane from uh, Inquiries of Our Reality, and today we're going to be doing this a little bit differently. Uh, as far as my show goes, I haven't really done too many uh, swapcast-style things or roundtable panel-style things, but uh, thanks to one of the awesome people on this panel today, uh, we ended up all organizing together, and uh, we got something awesome that we're going to be talking about with you guys. We're going to be expressing some theories and everything, but uh, of course, before we can really get too much into it, uh, everybody should uh, give themselves a little bit of a shout-out and let everybody know who you are and uh, where you came from on this panel. Hey, everybody. This is Chris from Conspire Theory. You can find me at Conspire Theory Podcasts and Instagram at Conspire Theory, as well as Twitter at Conspire a Theory. And I was asked by a little stealth assassin out there that you know as Jamie J to come on in. So how about you introduce yourself, ma'am? <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, I've been on both of your guys' show. And yeah, we were just kind of... Um, talking after the show and thinking it would be fun to just kind of all get together because we're going to have some different backgrounds and just sort of uh, um, share some different ideas. Um, my background's more in um, satanic ritual abuse and mind control and MKUltra and uh, like a lot of um, fake things that have been implanted on purpose. And um, I think your guys' research is a lot more on finding real things that people have tried to hide. <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite. So I thought it'd be fun today if we just sort of um, hit it from both sides. Say I'm extensive on the theories at least. So as far as that goes, I feel like, uh, I'm probably more the theories woo woo kind of out there guy. Uh, you got the aspect of the psychological part and then Chris has the, the hard research aspect of it covered. So <laughs> I think we're, we're going to cover it pretty well from all, all kind of different bases and views of the topic and phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. I'll take that until proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I guess the best place to start, of course, is uh, with the first abduction that you guys wanted to bring up, and then we can start kind of decomposing it uh, from there. Uh, so that being said, Chris, uh, which one is the first one that you would like to touch base on and get everything rolling with? Well, when discussing the case of uh, 
alien abduction and the potential for it to be, you know, like faked or in some parts, you know, the deeds of nefarious individuals, you know, with through some covert means. I think one of the most highlighted cases, and most famous cases that I think our listeners would be most familiar with is the Betty and Barney Hill case. Now, everyone knows the Betty and Barney Hill case as one of the most prominent and most infamous um, abduction cases to date that it's pretty much set the standard as far as what we expect of, of uh, alien abduction. But what we're going to take an angle at is realize there's so many more layers to this event that there's so much more to it than what we see on the surface. Now, just to preface, I want to go ahead and say that, you know, whenever people think about the Betty and Barney Hill case, one of the things that I bring out is that because we're, we're such a, a fickle bunch in the paranormal community, you know, we, we like to grasp onto things, you know, like as, as best as we could. And one of the, the aspects that people like to latch on is the, the interracial aspect of Betty and Barney Hill, that they're an interracial couple. And they said, well, they're an interracial couple. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's fine. That makes sense. But then they're also activists, which is sort of like uh, that we're uh, fighting for civil rights at the time, which was a very just thing. And I'm like, hang on a second. If they don't want to draw attention to themselves, then why are they activists for a, a, a civil rights cause, which is pretty much just nothing but drawing attention to themselves? So that might lie down the framework of, you know, if there was a couple that you would choose to uh, propagate a, a seed, if you were a nefarious cloak and dagger organization, who would you choose to, you know, maybe set the sights on to, to if you were to fake an abduction and you wanted people who were used to engaging in, in, you know, such uh, details, you know, with, without holding back who better than activists. And I think that's one of the arguments that a lot of people have brought up, you know, and there are other things in the minor details that I'm sure we will get into, you know, at time, but Shane and Jay, what, what are your impressions when you first hear about this case and what do you think about it? In addition to what I brought up, you want to go first, Jamie? Um, sure. Um, I just, um, like my mind always goes to, you know, is this a cover up? Is this a form of propaganda? Is this a form of psychological terrorism where, you know, it's that, um, something that can never be traced back to a person, right? So if it's an alien, then how are you ever going to, you know, hold that person accountable, right? So I always wonder how much of this is government, how much of it is like CIA, how much of it is, you know, just um, people that honestly just like to mess with people for fun, just out of, just a form of like sadistic terrorism, right? Where you could never be held accountable because of this. Uh, it's like you don't really actually exist, right? Um, so... With all the cases, it's like, um, for me personally, I'm always on the fence about this stuff because I just, I've, I've, I know so much about what can be faked, but then I also really believe in a lot of what people say, and I do believe in interdimensionals. So um, it's kind of an area for me out of research that I can never quite really come to a conclusion on because it's just like so much um, information on both sides that it's like the one area of all my research where I seem to never be able to really pick a side of the fence of what I think really happened. 
that's kind of uh, where I'm at, that I have multiple theories on what I think it could potentially be. And uh, one of the biggest components that I kind of bring into it is the fact that Betty had a bad experience or a good experience. And then Barney had a bad experience. And at least for the times, it would make sense because, you know, Barney was the African-American one and Betty was the uh, the white one. So if you're coming at it from like the government standpoint that they might be trying to experiment or just instill fear possibly, or even just at the, like the simplest component of it, just try to almost like drop the idea of the phenomenon so that they're able to do this more in the future and people are going to start putting it under that framework that it's like a UFO abduction. Um, so of course they're going to want to try to make the, the bad experience for him because that at least was the demographic that they weren't necessarily trying to promote at the time. So in turn, maybe it scares this guy away from being more public about things. Um, and it kind of almost seems like it might kind of instill, instill fear into like the race as a whole, as far as like African American goes. But then there's again, other components of it where this could have been something that was an extension of like MK ultra where I was kind of talking about it a little bit before the show um, that they could potentially be using some form of like synthetic LSD or some other more advanced version of LSD. Cause assumably they weren't just doing these experiments trying to figure out how to unlock the mind. Of course they're, they're doing that, but in turn they're going to want to have better methods of doing so. So I'm sure that they were adapting and creating their own form of like psychedelic um, substances to begin with that, may even be something that only the government has has access to because it's something that they created that's potentially just ridiculously strong. So even after that, I mean, once you're in that altered state of mind, um, they could easily just wear a simple mask, alien mask, alien suit. And at least at that time when you're under like that type of psychedelic substance, um, you could completely fall into basically whatever they're saying and you're going to go with it and it's going to be this crazy experience for you. And at least for like Betty, she talked about it in a positive light. And that may be because she's more of one of those people that are okay with not necessarily having control, which is something that's regularly seen in psychedelics where people that want to be in control all the time, they end up having bad experiences on psychedelics because they can't control it. So they can't fall into it. So they just end up fighting it the whole time. And in turn, that could have been what kind of happened to him. Um, there's also, of course, the the component of it being exactly as they said and as everything was and that it was one of the first like really, really uh, solid documented uh, UFO abduction cases. And then the other idea that I kind of want to throw into it, and uh, of course, I have to give Justin from Cryptids of the Corn a uh, shout out for this one. Uh, he's been talking about this um, theory, basically, that UFOs are actually organic beings that are basically a form of like a fungus. So that would also go in with the whole idea of like why they probe is because of course, fungus is interested in um, feces, for example, because it's like a food source for them. Um, and if they are giant, like almost like mushroom beings that are floating above, um, assumably they would drop some type of like spore something like that, that might make it so that the things underneath them uh, kind of freak out and stay away from it um, as more of like a defense mechanism. And that could also be why more often than not, you see a lot of these um, UFOs, different things at like nuclear bases, um, like uh, garbage, like junkyards, different things like that is because a lot of these connections to that for me, at least sound like something that a lot of fungus would eat potentially as food. But like this one's kind of a hard one where I'm always researching this type of stuff. And more often than not, I end up with more questions and more theories than I do actual answers. And 
it's one of those things that you get more and more pieces and they all kind of seem like they could all potentially fit into each of these categories, depending on which viewpoint and perspective you're realistically coming at them from. Yeah, those are good points, Shane. If I could also compound on the good and bad dynamic of the experiences, there were also other extenuating factors that I believe could compound that. In addition to um, uh, the, the racial element, which you had highlighted on, I think one person made it what I consider an absurd claim that uh, that Barney had experienced genetic memory of being a slave of something of that nature. And I, I, I consider that kind of silly. However, what isn't silly was that Barney was indeed a World War II veteran. He had fought in the in World War II on the front lines. You know, he had engaged German troops. Now, one of the details that when he had looked through the the when he had seen the aliens, he had looked at through through binoculars, and he had noticed that what they were wearing, what he had considered Nazi-like uniforms, which had triggered him. Which would you know, as far as what we know now about PTSD and trauma and stuff like that, he very well could have had a PTSD-induced episode from his wartime struggles that would have compounded. And if there was a mind-altering agent introduced, you know, that also would have been a catalyst for his experience as well. In addition to that, he, of course, you know, in the detail, he knew that he had a gun in his trunk. So he had gone to get the gun in the trunk, but he couldn't because his body was frozen. And I don't know much about psychedelics or, or, or drug altering uh, or mind altering uh, stuff, but I'm sure that, that, that you've heard of, of experiences where people feel completely paralyzed after taking uh, high doses or being in, induced with, with, uh, with some drugs that their body just turns to mush you know, and and that very well could have been, you know, something of that nature that maybe could lead to the the idea that that they were induced with some kind of uh, psychotic or or if a mushroom being had had induced them that 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 would have been that experience or if the government had decided you know hey let's traumatize this guy if it was indeed them quote unquote a government agency. You know, pro, uh, procating this this experience, they would have known his uh, wartime experience, and of course would have the means to act upon it on how to specifically trigger him specifically because they would know this guy's a World War vet. If we're going to be dressed up, let's dress up in these sort of uh, Nazi-esque like uh, German type uniforms because he's going to have that's what he has experience with. Now, with Betty, on the other hand, she was more open-minded, and she was, I guess, the more hippy-dippy of the type. After the fact, uh, Barney had shied away from this experience, and he had just you know, lived the rest of his life as just a mediocre mailman, you know, until he eventually you know, passed away on, on his route from a sudden heart attack. Um, Betty, on the other hand, had you know, pretty much made this her identity, this one moment pretty much defined her and became the catalyst for her. And if there was an indeed uh, them and their, uh, their, their, what they wanted, the results they wanted to see was to uh, propagate this sort of phenomenon out into the public, 
then she would have been the perfect the the perfect catalyst for that to propagate the culture of UFO and the paranormal because that's exactly what she did. So even though though you know they they took the shot with the two of them, one of them shot shot off and the other one kind of you know faded away you know, from his own accord, which was completely understandable given the traumatic events that they had described. But they, if someone wanted to make something happen to push waves in the culture, they certainly did that. And they were the perfect couple to do that. That's what I was going to mention too, was the fact that when it comes to a lot of this stuff, like, especially when it comes into like the psychedelic research that the government was doing, it extends past the whole aspect of just being like for trying to unlock um, like telepathic abilities. Um, there's also the whole aspect of it that we're talking, I was, Jamie and I were talking on a previous show about it, um, on how they got this whole like hippie kind of movement going where everybody started these communes and then they didn't want that. They didn't want people living off of everything. So they ended up creating the whole idea of cults and they ended up altering everybody's like minds and the way that they thought because they would jack them up on these like psychedelics and then they'd kind of push them into these different methods of methods of thinking. And you see this with like char- like the Charles Manson case is like a prime example of this. So when it comes to like the government, of course, they always want to be able to experiment on people. Um, for whatever reason you see it today, they have this need to be able to categorize and like have some kind of piece of everybody's DNA because they want to have some kind of database of like everybody, be it that they're saying that it's so that, you know, if there's ever crimes, they have everybody's DNA and they'll know whoever did it trying to hide it under like a, like a safety thing. But the best way you, you, you're not just going to be able to blindly get everybody just to give up their, their DNA. So of course there's going to have to be some kind of a ploy where you're going to be able to grab people and rather than people instantly going, oh, it's the government, they're grabbing people, um, you get, you're hiding it under this other fa- facade. So in turn, they could, have it, they could have intentionally picked this group of people because they wanted to polarize the concept right off the bat from the first big abduction concept where you have the one side that's horrified of the experience and you have the one side that entertains the experience. And in turn, rather than looking at it potentially being the government, everybody's more fascinated on the fact that one person had a horrible experience and another person had an awesome experience. So just right off of that, you instantly have this polarization that you see in the UFO community now that everybody's still debating on, are these things good? Are these things bad? And that could have been that intentional ploy that the government did to make that happen. Um, if you're looking at it from that perspective, of course, because I still always like to entertain the idea that, you know, it may be exactly as they said it was, and it was just a straight textbook UFO abduction. <laughs> yeah. Good, good point. Jamie. Your yeah. Thoughts? Um, just a couple things. There's <laughs> a lot there, but um, yeah, I think what something that's really key is that um, I do think a lot of it is a cover for medical research. And so, um, the Nazis during World War II had like un- unlimited, you know, research abilities without any restraint ethically. Um, and so they were able to figure out a lot of things that they wouldn't have been able to figure out if they were following ethical protocols. Um, and so after World War II, when everything went underground and they were like, okay, we're not going to do unethical medical stuff anymore. It's like, it's like, that's when the kind of the alien stuff started coming out because it's like, that would be a perfect cover for them to be able to do unethical exper- experiments on people. And, um, you know, just the thing that always fascinates me the most about all of the alien stuff, like, I mean, there's a lot of like teachings and technology and spiritual teachings that people say they they get from alien stuff, but like most of it is medical and medical research and, you know, research with biological material and, and stuff like that. So, um, and then with, um, 
like the frozen frozen body and stuff, I mean, that can be a result of hypnosis. Like you can hypnotize somebody to think they can't move their body or you can use like drugs like um, scopolamine and stuff like that would have effects like that on somebody. Um, and then also with the um, 1% I mean, a good experience and 1% having a bad experience, there could also be another layer to that because um, with MK Ultra techniques, a lot of times they can hide a really negative experience with a positive one over top, right? So in some of the books that I've read about um, alien abductions, like the person will have a sexual experience, but it was actually a rape experience, but they'll have a screen memory of like uh, of a sexual experience that they, that they liked. And like that can be programmed in with hypnosis in the memory, like, like you know, that it was not what it appeared to be <laughs> in reality. So there's always like these different layers to you know what the person experienced what they remember and what actually happened and like and if there's other layers you know just layer on top of layer on top of layer and that's kind of how they hide stuff i mean i kind of wonder too if just because again you got to think about the time and everything i mean one you could come at it from the aspect of operation paperclip you know the nazis were coming here and of course they had to have a mean to be able to continue these experiments that clearly the whole entire world was interested in that's why they pretty much just I pick you, I pick you, I pick you with all the Nazi scientists. Um, or the other component of it that's also a possibility that I'd like to throw into the ring is at this time, that was when psychedelics were starting to kind of make make their appearance into modern day culture. So being again, that it was an interracial couple, um, as messed up as this sounds, um, you know, they could have went to a bar for example, and there could have been some locals that got their hands on something. I mean, it could have even been something like somebody worked for the government. They could have been paid by the government to be one of the people that would, you know, put LSD in people's drinks and everything. So maybe they still had contact with that and they were angry at the fact that they were an interracial couple. So maybe it resulted in, uh, something that they both, tried to cover up, um, in their own weird ways where, you know, the, maybe they could have been assaulted. Um, maybe there could have been some kind of like sexual experience with Betty and Barney was forced to watch or something. Um, again, considering just the type of the, the people and the method of thinking as far as like interracial couples go at the time. And it was such extensive trauma that they both just kind of covered it up. Cause I mean, even if you're a war vet, um, you know, there's only so much you can do if like four guys all come at you and your, and your significant other, because at that point um, you're not necessarily trying to defend yourself. Like you were doing like in the war. Um, your main concern of course is your significant other that again, unlike being in war where everybody kind of knows how to fight. So you're assumably your significant other at this time um, may not have known how to protect yourself. So his key focus could have been trying to protect her while he was also entranced with different psychedelic drugs and it just could have been kind of like you were saying just the whole experience could have been misconstrued um based off of some type of altered substance or altered mind concept being introduced into it um and it may not exactly be government related it could have been literally just locals related because they were angry about there being an interracial couple <laughs> mm. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I probably would have to push back on that because Barney did have a gun in his trunk and they were activists. So they would see the signs there. So, so if anyone would be prepared, I think it would be them. But the idea of them being singled out and potentially roofied while they were out, that is an intriguing possibility that maybe, you know, that, that they, that there could have been like, you know, nefarious government agents out there that if they would have been chosen, they would have been chosen like ahead of time because if anything, 
Barney succumbed to whatever influence it was first, because he was the one that that you know drove down drove down the road and eventually was you know went down the down the path that that Betty was not familiar with. Whereas, if anything, if if any kind of uh, any kind of influence was induced, he obviously became susceptible to it first. And then, and then she was then put onto it. So, if they were roofied, then yeah, it probably would have been his his drink that was spiked, and then they would have acted upon that. If we were to go down that scenario, and that I would make wanna, sense like, to hit the mill first too. It. Yeah. Well, could he have been in on it? And since he was in the military, could he have been in on the experiment and just taken Betty on some really messed up date? <laughs> <laughs> been in on it and then been like, oh, it was worse for me. Like I, you know, <laughs> I just like, don't want to talk about it altogether. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then maybe like ended up like regretting it later at another time. I don't, <laughs> I don't know because I think he would have been, he probably would have been like rewarded or compensated in some means, you know, better than just being a, a male. Uh, a regular mailman. I mean, even in just if he was a regular mailman, that's still connected as being a government job. So it could have, even if that, if you mm-hmm. entertain that as a possibility, um, and considering that his significant other would assumably see his finances, all of this kind of stuff, the best way to be able to like pay, like if if you were going to do something like that to somebody and you were going to pay them or try to, you know, make it so that it was worth their while. I feel like the best method of doing so would almost be to like hide it where he'd be working a government job and say the average person makes just just going off of like today's standards or something like $18 an hour to do this job, but they pay him $25, $30 an hour to do the job. And then he gets regular bonuses and stuff. And they almost make it seem like all the money is coming in naturally through his normal means of income. But realistically, it's all getting funded and pushed in. And um, again, he's just working a normal job, looking like a normal guy, because assumably if you were going to do something like that to your significant other, um, you would have to go to ridiculous lengths to be able to keep that secret from them uh, for that long. Because if you just had a random couple hundred dollars, couple thousand dollars pop up in your bank account, more often than not, your significant other is going to be like, oh, where the hell did this come from? You get a bonus? Did you get something? Like even in a positive way, it's still going to be questioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think that there was that that him being in on it or being a participant of some some nature, I think you know, probably may not have been the case because there would be a trail of some sort and we'd be able to recognize some sort of pattern. And as far as we could see from it, he probably was not a willing participant because that's just what the what so far from what we could gather from it. Because otherwise, he probably would have come across it or come walked away from the experience more lucratively than he had. Um, Betty, on the other hand, this was clearly something that happened to her. And I don't know that if she was, you know, if we were to like, well, let's say, well, did she lead him on? Did she spike his drink? And then, and then, you know, uh, I, I don't think that would be a case either because, you know, even though she was an, an advocate for, you know, the paranormal, she's also like, you know, regarded by some as, you know, rather, a a bit more on the ridiculous side because I think she had like an orphanage for ghosts and stuff like that, uh, something of that nature that she, her initial, her initial experience made an impact, but I don't think that she made any, you know, other than being the woman that this happened to, she had, she hadn't like, you know, uh, uh, struck out beyond that. 
because that's pretty much the defining thing for her, even though, you know, she, she heavily promoted this experience and made, you know, a lot of leadway with this experience. Uh, there was no, uh, there was no encore as far as we know. I mean, at least for me, um, I like to entertain all possible different ideas. And the only way that it's ever going to get discussed and be able to get like thrown out is not being a possibility is of course, by bringing it up. But if I had to I'm bet on to shoot them all down, you know, just to, just to be clear, I'm not trying to shoot everything down. Oh no, no, no. That's, I'm that's just, what I'm I was saying going off of, of what, what I remember from the cases on what I can bring up. So I'm, I'm not trying to push back on you. You, you know, if, if you have a theory or something like that, I'm just bringing up from what I remember the experience that may, uh, that, that may add to it. I'm just uh, <laughs> playing devil's advocate and theorizing. But I mean, if I had to guess, though, honestly, um, like my bet would be either one, that there was some type of government intervention, um, assumably through some type of altered state means, um, or two, that if you do believe in the phenomenon, and you do think that there's something out there, be it extraterrestrial, interdimensional, whatever, um, maybe it really did happen as it was. And again, the experience comes down to the fact that one of them was willing to accept it. So it's almost like um, you have a uh, like a captor, for example, and the one that's going to be making things easy, the one that's going to just go along and go wherever they tell them to go. Of course, the experience, I mean, it's still going to be an awful experience, but it's not going to be as awful or it may not be as awful through their eyes. But the person that's fighting against the experience the whole time and fighting against the captors, um, of course, is going to have the absolute worst possible experience. So be it coming from a government standpoint or being that it comes from a extraterrestrial alien interdimensional uh, standpoint, um, I still feel like that's the key component to it is that one of them was willing to accept the experience and just kind of see what it was. And the other one was fighting back from it the entire time. And because of that was never able to kind of come to a realization in his own head on top of the fact that again, he was a uh, veteran and had PTSD on top of that. And this was just a added cherry on top where he probably at that point just shut down completely and didn't want to talk about almost anything. Like I guarantee you this guy probably was, maybe talk to a significant other, but he probably after this experience, like never talked about what was realistically actually going on in his own head. Even if he was breaking down these things himself in his own head and maybe he yeah, fully yeah. rationalized he, he what very, happened. Yeah. He was very, he, he was very shut, sh you know, shut off about the experience from what I recall. So, uh, Jamie, your thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, the only thing like I like I think probably my bias is just because I've studied um like satanic racial abuse and dissociative identity disorder and people with multiple personalities and stuff. I guess I kind of always like to me that that's always a possibility in all scenarios is that somebody has multiple personalities. And so especially if that military background or severe PTSD, they may be dissociative. There just might be different layers um to like a per what a person's conscious of even in themselves. And so I always kind of um, don't assume that's there, but I always kind of look that that might actually always just be something to consider in an angle, especially if they have military programming. Like if you think about the movies like um, Jacob's Ladder, um, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, mm -hmm. um, like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, you know, like I always think in my mind that there's can always be an element of that there as well. See, what they're actually trying to do was cure his PTSD by making an even more traumatic experience so he'd forget about being in the war. <laughs> he'd be just focused on this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the overall experience, it, it 
there, it's so open-ended for that catalyst that it is indeed one of the most perfect cases. And I think that's why it's so famous is that there's so much that could be tacked onto it. What you were saying uh, earlier, which got me thinking, Jamie, was you talked about the unethical medical practices. In she had, they they had done a thing where they had stuck a needle in her in her navel, and and I think I don't know if I can't remember if Barney had anything where he was anally probed, but the the anally probed and the the you know as far as with the pregnancy you know research with the aliens doing with the genetics and stuff at the time we in the, in the early eighties and nineties, it became a, a, a means of ridicule. But later we learned, you know, through science, of course, that the prostate prostatal stimulus does produce, um, you know, it, it is a way to force, you know, uh, ejaculation and to extreme, extreme, uh, seminal resources from 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 males and and there are ways of 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 extracting that from from females as well so if there is some unethical genetic research going on there's definitely a case there that wasn't until the natural progress of our natural medicine and culture that we realized that, that there was an opening there yeah, and how are you going to take it? Research. Like, if, if if people believe that what happened to them was aliens, like, you're, you're, there's no, um, you know, calling the cops, there's no going to court, there's no holding anyone accountable. Like, it was like, yeah, you had an alien encounter, like, go see a psychologist, you know, or go see a counselor. Like, there's there's no liability um, or accountability to be had if, if the person truly believes that happened, right? So it's a perfect cover for unethical medical research. Um, just, I don't know. This comes to mind yeah, and, and also one of the one of the scientists who fled to Brazil, he was notorious for experimenting on twins. And then I think in Brazil or whatever it is, or Argentina, they experienced an explosion of, of the population of twins being born. So I'm like, how how did how how do you do that? You know, unless there's some sort of unethical research that you can just induce twins in, in mm-hmm. people like suddenly. So this guy was clearly up to no good. So that, that there is that precedence that, you know, if, if there are these interdimensional aliens, you know, if they want to create bodies or, or clones or anything of that nature, they've always had the means of extracting um, embryonic and seminal resources to, uh, to do that with. And I've always held the theory that with these cow mutilations, this is just my personal theories that they take the womb because it's, it's said, you know, quote unquote, old wives tale that you can grow anything in a cow womb. Mm. So who knows if, if some of these, these uh, hybrids or whatever, um, or even experimental clones that are used for whatever nefarious purposes, you know, what if they're grown in these wombs or, or, or something that nation like a, like test tube, like the ultimate test tube baby. I mean, if you expand into, I mean, depending on which which avenue you're kind of coming from, um, I like to entertain the idea that there's the possibility that a lot of these extraterrestrials are possibly like us from the future when we've gotten to a point where, you know, there's government control, um, a lot of different pushed agendas where you get to a point where essentially people are castrated like you can't actually reproduce on your own and it's completely up to technology and the government in order to reproduce um so 
either one, you can look at it from the standpoint that these could possibly be like the renegade of that society or two, they could be the most advanced scientists of the future society. But if you were connecting the concept that you kind of said where you're taking the female egg, you're taking the male sperm, and then you're taking a cow womb and you're producing this in that and possibly even mixing in part of your DNA, maybe the intention is that they're trying to create something that's mixed with them, not off of the standpoint of them trying to exist here, but almost to regress themselves back in their time so that they're able to reproduce naturally again instead of relying solely on technology in order to do that. And it could be a progressive thing where that's why you see these like weird stories about hybrids where they're like almost human-like but not quite human-like is because these could be kind of like the intermitted pieces of trying to almost like regress their DNA back to a point where it's not regressed as far back as ours, but it's regressed far enough to the regressed back enough to the point from like where they are that they're able to again reproduce again, but still have possibly some of these like advanced abilities or I guess maybe even you could call them like adaptations depending on like where the world and space and everything kind of like takes us where we adapt to be able to fit into these environments. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, the, this, this technology may be prominent with them, but also it doesn't appear to be perfect because we also have the phenomenon of the phantom pregnancies or maybe during the early developmental stages, they'll probably stick this into and use, and I guess sort of rent out the abductee's wombs as a surrogate until it's ready that they can put it into the cow uh, womb or whatever uh, standby womb that they'll 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 grow it up to a certain point and then extract it. You know, it's usually extracted at like three or six months. You know, I, I don't know. I think you might be able to comment better on that, Jamie, because I don't know what the research is on that exactly. I'm just uh, like, are you they, saying that, that, like, why wouldn't, I'm the, just curious why they wouldn't leave the womb in the cow if they were going to do that. Like, it seems like it would be really complicated to remove the the womb from the cow and still use it. I, I've heard of satanic rituals where they do rebirth rituals out of a cow. That's actually a really common one they do all the time. So I always kind of thought maybe that has something to do with cattle mutilations, but to actually use it as like a, a genet, like an exogenesis chamber type, you know, synthetic womb or something. Um, that's kind of a new one to me, but um, I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything past, past it at this point, but I'm just curious, like if you could explain how. Um, well, like, I mean, if, if you're going to bring a cow onto a UFO, it's methane farts are going to poison your atmosphere. <laughs> Uh, AOC said that the cow farts are going to destroy us. So it's like, oh, we can't have those methane farts, but let's just get the cow womb and, and hook, it up, hook it up to a circulation device so that way we, it could still function as, as a separate entity. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, just throwing, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. But as far as the, but, but obviously it's not completely viable because that's probably why I, I speculate that they use the, the phantom pregnancy phenomenon, because they for the initial in- introduction, they'll they'll grow it during the first uh, developmental stages in a human womb, and then maybe put it into so that way it could go into the when it's like the third trimester or whatever, they'll then put that into like a, a an exo womb of some sort, and I I don't know maybe. You might your research might be able to tell more on that than myself and Shane's. Yeah, I I mean I don't 
I haven't heard of a cow's womb being like, I mean, I'm, I think it could be possible. I mean, but I just, I mean, would it be hooked up to like some type of machine or something to keep it like circulating blood? You know what I mean? Like a, um, like a life, well, support, I, I, type of life support machine to keep the womb. Uh, meaning on the, the cow womb. But what I'm talking about specifically is more of the, the aliens, you know, uh, taking hybrids and stuff and then, and then growing them, you know, well, that can be a, that can be a screen, that can be a, that can, they can, um, they've like taken babies forever. Right. So again, this mm -hmm. could just be another cover up for stealing babies. Right. Just to be like, Oh, an alien took it. Right. Cause then how are you ever going to find it? If it's the government just taking it for their breeding program. And like, um, Shane, what you were saying about like kind of the back breeding, right? Like, I think that might have something to do with it too. Like, um, where you're kind of like trying to back up evolution to like a point, like if you like screwed things up, you kind of want to go back to a point before you screw it up, like, like, I guess that you could do that on your, on your computer, right? When you keep hitting the undo button. The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just reset to default. <laughs> just to uh, throw in a theory as far as like the cow wombs go. Um, it makes sense that they would possibly start these things off in a human womb. And you think about the normal like depiction of like an alien or an extraterrestrial, and they may be smaller in size sometimes, depending on, of course, what species you're talking about. But it seems like their heads are bigger than the average person's head. So off of that, maybe their intention is that, again, they want to be able to reuse specific people, maybe because they have really good DNA, they don't have anything that's going to cause negative effects to, they're just basically like really pure DNA. So they don't want to destroy that human in the process of being able to do this. So rather than letting it fully get to full size, where again, the, the hardest problem when it comes to like giving childbirth is the size of the head. It's not even the shoulders because the shoulders kind of come out sideways. It's that size of the head when it's initially coming out. So maybe the intention is that they take this thing out when it's at a size where they know that it's not going to damage the human even maybe not even leave a trace of even looking like they're pregnant they'll just remove it after it gets started and it gets going and then they move it into a cow womb because of the size of it everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It, then it makes it easier for the head and these different extremities that we talk about that are kind of over 
oversized as far as like extraterrestrials go. And it just, it gives it a better means of being able to grow. And then when they have these artificial, I don't want to say artificial wombs, but these like reanimated wombs would probably be a better way of wording it. Um, if it's not one attached to the animal, you don't have to worry about like feeding the animal directly. You don't have to worry about the mess of the animal. It's just a womb itself. And if you have it, just at the simple, like, I don't want to necessarily want to say reanimated, but even at a, at a spot where like it's keeping the tissue alive and you're yeah. feeding it yourself, um, be it like through a syringe or some type of like drip system that's going directly into the baby. Um, then when it comes to the time where it's time for it to be birthed, then you don't have to worry about the animal on the outside of it. You can just take this womb cut it right open, boom, here's your baby that comes out of it. And even potentially off of that, if it's not actually inside of another physical animal, of course they have a lot of different advanced technology, but lack of a means of ease is always the best means. So if they use these, these wombs and they just almost have like the womb just able to maintain itself, um, then they might also be able to keep a better idea on the growth cycle of what's going on inside the womb. Because again, if there's a direct problem, they don't have to worry about the animal. They can just cut it open and kind of deal with it, the situation from there. And in turn with the process, maybe if they're able to, you know, shine a bright light from the back of it or whatever, um, they have an easier means of being able to keep tabs on what's going on with the new growing baby, or even in the aspect of, if it's, if it's bad DNA that they're trying to stay away from because they're trying to get back to that process of being able to reproduce themselves, then they have an easier means of knowing, all right, it's right here in front of us. This one's not going to be a good one. Toss it out right now instead of having to worry about reabducting this person, picking him back up, knowing, all right, this is a bad one and having to deal with that person again and then tossing it. Like it would make more sense to me at least for them to want to deal with it directly. And the biggest component, and I'm glad that you brought up the whole cow womb thing. It makes sense with the size of their head that that would be the issue with yeah. an average person birthing any type of like extraterrestrial type being. Yeah. And I know for sure that the Nazis were doing like a lot of research on that kind of stuff. Like, t like, you know, trying to like, like, uh, Joseph Mangala was, they talk a lot about the, um, like ritual abuse and trauma that he did on people, but the, a lot of the medical experimentations, like he would try switching out organ parts on people and stuff like that, like taking somebody's eyes and putting them in someone else's head. And like he did all like a whole bunch of research like that. So, I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if they were trying to hybridize animals and humans or taking wombs and trying to like even put them in a woman or I think a lot of that type of really crazy experimentation actually did happen. There's actually not a lot of coverage on it. You have to kind of dig to find it, but there's a lot of really crazy swapping experiments like that, that they did. I mean, even to throw in another mm -hmm. aspect of it too, even in Russia, um, I believe it was probably around the time of like World War II, um, there was a scientist who was trying to create an ape army and he was trying to basically put ape DNA or ape semen into like female. Of course it didn't work because th th that just doesn't work, but he was trying all these crazy methods, even trying to produce like a, like a hybrid between like a primate slash person. So that the idea was that it would be in really easy army to control. But realistically, if you break it down, you don't know which genes are going to be the recessive and the dominant genes. Mm -hmm. So more often than not, assumably uh, you're going to have basically a version of a weaker ape um, like a weak ape with like, with like the ape mindset. Like it's not going to end up positive. You're not going to end up with like a really, really strong person that like you're going to, you're going to end up with, with the bad genes. So like more often than not, I don't yeah. think there's any other way around it. Like maybe one in 10, you'll get the good genes, but more often than not, you see it in people, you get the bad genes are the ones that pop back up. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember that. I think that was called the Humanzy Project. Mm-hmm. Instead of a chimpanzee, humanzy, and it, it was it was it that that was a fun rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> well, do you guys ever something just to throw out kind of weird? But I always thought that the great aliens looked like a dolphin-human hybrid because dolphins are really mm. smart. And I was like, what if they're just made on Earth and they wanted the really big brain and all the special like um, you know skills that a dolphin brain has, like like all their I can't, sorry I can't remember the name of it, Echo whatever. Um, if they were trying to get that into a human, then maybe that's kind of like why they would need a big womb <laughs> to birth. Well, I mean, uh, there, there is a there is a, a alternative theory that the aliens don't come from space; that they come from the sea. So they could be a variant of the of the dolphins, and also by nature, dolphins are quite rapey. So it, it's in the it's it's just it's what they do, you know, and and. Sexual assault is is pretty much a big thing among the the alien species. So it, it's like it's like, hey, we're dolphins. It's it's in our nature. Rape is who we are. You know, type of thing. There is no actually to this it. is going to go so weird, but there is actually um, people that have written books on MK Ultra did say there was absolutely dolphin rape, and that there's it's a whole dolphin porn fetish like in these Satanists of like all kinds of weird dolphin. <laughs> and so, anyways, it's really funny. If, um, and in one of the books, I think it was, I'm not even going to try and quote the book because it might not be the right one, but it might have been Bryce Taylor's book, but she said that Sylvester Stallone was like really into all this dolphin porn, right? And so if you go and you Google it, there's actually this punk band that's like not famous at all. And they wrote a song about um, Sylvester Stallone and dolphin porn. You can look it up and Google it. It's like, it just makes me laugh so hard that somebody heard that conspiracy and actually wrote a punk song. And it's like way at the bottom of the internet and you can find it. If you ever try to go down that rabbit hole, that's where it'll lead you. So you can look it up. Yeah. Never <laughs> underestimate punk rock. I think there's a band out there that's that's like that they take all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's one-liners and turn them into heavy metal songs. Austrian Death Machine, <laughs> for anybody that's curious. I forgot yeah. about that. I haven't heard that in like yeah. 10, 12 years at least. <laughs> yeah. Get to the chopper. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. But yeah, as far as the whole human and and even animal hybrid stuff, I mean, there is precedent for that in our modern myths, like with the Minotaur and stuff like that of, of these these and the satyr, and all of these other you know variants that that you know could have some grounds of reality if if this alien, you know, intermixing if they were to you know to 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 take it a step further from just cloning regular old humans and doing that stuff. I mean, even in our, our own cloning. We have been able to bring, you know, um, I guess uh, uh, embryos that are, you know, various chimeras. We just don't bring them to term for ethics reasons, but they have been created. Yeah, and I mean that's in the Bible. That's I mean in a lot of myth, and like a lot of myths are basically about chimera, and like you know it's just been mythologized or whatever. But I mean definitely, there's look going into all that. Uh, alternate history stuff there's all kinds of stuff about that you know like um and it's it's always weird like um you know about dolly the sheep and stuff like i mean i just i always think like you know mengala was doing the twin studies and they were cloning and they were just creating babies and like um you know and then when they let dolly out it's like people thought that was you know like, like this new thing and i mean i even as a little kid i knew that was just like not new at all you know 
just uh, throwing kind of a funny idea and concept. If that is potentially true that these things might actually be some type of like hybrid with like dolphins, uh, that would explain a lot of the weird phenomenon as far as like UFOs popping out of water and the whole idea of like, oh, why doesn't anybody see them regularly? Um, maybe they have, <laughs> maybe they're hiding amongst the dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the USO thing, it, it, it's it's a uh, it's it's quite a phenomenon. And, you know, some people, I, I think the research is like a lot of people try to say that that uh, a lot of UFO sightings happen near water, and I don't know that there is a case like case study to to support that or not. I don't believe that there is. I think that's just one of those old wives' tales that we tell ourselves. You know, and, 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 you know, I, I just don't know that, that it's true, but it's definitely fun to think about, you know, because just because there, there isn't, that doesn't mean that that isn't the case, you know, because it very well could be that these things are popping out of water and it's just, we're not seeing them as often as we could because, you know, from what we've, from what we have seen from witness accounts, when they pop in a water, you know the the splash and stuff is very minimal, as if they're as if they're coated with whatever it is, whatever field that 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 surrounds them is is pretty much made to stream through water specifically, and displace it. You know at a minimum, so these things could be popping in and out with no one even even seeing them, even if they're right next to them, or even hearing of them because they're not going to disturb the water that much when they do it. I mean, it could even be a component of just being able to almost like hide themselves with safety that it may not necessarily have a direct link to water, but they may know that if they come into the atmosphere and they look like they're potentially flying straight down into water, um, one, they might think that the average person might think that they look like a meteor. So that's already a cloud of protection from that. And then they might potentially stay near the water because they know the average person doesn't have a means to like a plane or a jet or whatever. So the intention is pretty much that it's a means of escape that rather than uh, having an abduction happen and somebody seeing it and potentially trying to like watch them from a distance in their car while they're still trying to follow them and figure out where they're kind of going. If they kind of keep stuff close to the water, then it only, it cuts off people at a certain point where they can essentially just, you, you don't know what direction that they actually go in. It, it, it's, it's an, it's an, it's a way to be able to confuse people where, you know, if they go into the water and then they fly, they go farther away from, from land, everybody's thinking that they're going into the water, but realistically they might just be going into the water, going down a couple miles and then going straight back up, uh, into the atmosphere or into another inter, it depends on which way you're looking at it, if it's interdimensional or if it's extraterrestrial. But if you're looking at it from the extraterrestrial perspective, they could just be using the water as like a safe zone rather than it actually being something that's well, yeah, and, a main component. And it's not unheard. It's not unheard of that there are, you know, uh, assume that there are water bases because there's a lot of uh, contactee witness accounts of people stating that that there have been bases in deep in the water where where people, you know, where it's the fathoms would kill, you know, normal people, but they go so deep enough because of their technology that they establish bases there because I guess during the '60s and stuff they would they would constantly be caught on land, you know, you know, just getting into their ships to and fro, they would, and I guess to, to, you know, to stop being, you know, whenever they, they like come out. And I think what was it, the famous story about the space pancakes where they had the space Italians, where they just came out of their spaceship and then they just hung out for a little bit. And some guy came and talked to them, 
and and I think it was a Swedish man, and and he's like, hey, what what's going on? So so you know they just they wanted a glass of water, and then once they got the glass of water, the, you know they they rewarded him with some space pancakes, and then they flew off, and of course the pancakes were like made were tasted and were made out of like a cardboard like substance. But it's just, you know, I guess, you know, going now from just hanging out in the water, they have less chance of getting caught and stuff like that. I mean, as far as like how the ships function too, um, I've theorized about this a lot and I've talked to a lot of people about it, but it seems like the common factor is that these things vibrate at an ultrasonic frequency where a lot of the people that um, have gone up and like seen these these ships um, like landed in the woods, for example, they'll go up to them and they'll end up getting like a burn from it or they'll hear this like this humming noise. So they're vibrating ultrasonically at a point where it almost seems like everything that's outside the ship uh, doesn't actually have the means of being able to touch the ship. So essentially these things can fly through the water and it's not really like traversing the water. It's rather like moving the water away from like the surface of it. So in turn, if they're using the same type of like vibration technology, um, they could potentially be making almost like, um, like force fields underwater where it's like a vibrating technology that keeps everything kind of radiating away from it. Um, and then that opens up the possibility too of all the caverns, everything that's down underneath the water, where does it potentially lead to? Um, it may even be just like a ploy where they may not have necessarily like bases like we think they do underwater, but they just know the means of getting into the water because their ship is able to transverse through it without actually having any type of issues. And then they just maybe get to like a pocket where they go up and then down and then back up. And then potentially there's like a landmass that's underneath the water. That's almost like a, you know, kind of like how, you know, those caves are where it's, it's almost like an upside down, like U shape, but in turn, because of that, uh, the top never fills up, but there's like the means of water underneath. Like, I mean, these could potentially be everywhere and even connecting it back into the, the human aspect yeah. of things too. Um, there could potentially be these bases made underwater that were created by humans. And we always talk about this whole thing about these, uh, these ships that are cars or different things that are just able to transverse different types of terrain. Um, we could be significantly yeah, yeah. more advanced like, like in this. The, uh, the Atlantis myth. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the Atlantis myth could have potentially just been advanced technology realistically that we just didn't understand. And we're looking at it like it was some type of like mystical, mystical thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think is that they stated that I think, um, fluid, Friction, I guess, runs along a lot smoother than than uh, gas friction, because I think it's like what I, I I think it's sound moves faster through solids than it does through uh, gases, mm -hmm. and I think that's been like established. And I think with uh, fluid friction, it's like a lot smoother. So these things could probably move a lot faster under the water, and and it's probably easier for them to get to. I mean, they're they're already you know like super fast, you know on in the air and if they go in a place where they have you know less friction they could be even faster you know and and move around you know uh our earth pretty much you know sight unseen so yeah i know in uh a few of the books that i've read um from people that were put through like government mkultra programs they all had um what's called water world programming which is like a mass program that's gone over like a, a whole large group of people and it's part of their new world order army programming 
which means they have a latent program that could be activated at any time for when there's world takeover. So they have like an army of programmed dissociative people already ready to go. And they all have uh, water world programming. So Shane, what you were saying about those kind of underground bases and stuff like that, I do believe that they have a lot of those actually. And I think there's a lot of hidden military bases under the water, how you, how you're, how you just described it. Um, and then um with the uh, with the MK Ultra programming, with the wild water world programming, like they they have altars that they believe are like kind of like mermen or mer- mermaids or whatever, and um, like when you see those movies like Stranger Things or whatever, where they're teaching the children to breathe underwater and stuff, like that's a really common experience that a lot of people have reported happened to them in some of the like more scientific MK Ultra programs. So who really knows, right? If they've been able to adapt humans to be able to breathe underwater. But I know that's been a goal they've had for a long time and have done a lot of experimentation on it. How successful they are, I don't know. But I do know that the world, water world programming is like a really broad program that a lot of people have. So who knows, right? When stuff goes down, maybe there is going to be like these people being able to function in the water and on air. I mean, there's even groups of people that have, you know, the generation and generation and generation been fishermen. And uh, I don't remember the name of the group, so I'm not going to even attempt to throw the name out. But um, I believe it's in Indonesia that they say that these people can hold their breath underwater for like up to a half hour because they've had like centuries of their family essentially just living off the water. So it's like you can already see that this adaptation has already happened in humans. And even off of the aspect too, that a lot of people, it's not commonly known, but you think that your fingers prune up because it's absorbing moisture, but realistically it's an adaptation that makes it so that you're able to grip things underwater. So, I mean, I feel like people are a lot more adapted to being underwater than what people actually realize. And it's just this matter of almost like deterring the adaptations where we've kind of pushed away from water. So we're starting to kind of like lose some of these adaptations, but in turn, they're still there. They're residual. They're, you know, not necessarily dominant genes, but they're still sitting in there. So maybe some of these government experiments, they're trying to reactivate those genes and make them not recessive genes, but make them dominant genes and make it so that um, potentially you could almost, I don't want to say like have a group of like super soldiers or anything like that, but essentially you'd have a group of people that are adapted to being able to go through a terrain easier than the average person can. So that brings you a whole, whole new advantage as far as, you know, the enemy can't chase you because you're your men can hold their breath underwater for a half hour. The average person can only do it for a couple minutes. Yeah. And I mean, think about like babies are already in water, right? Like we're born in water. And so like that, we, we change that when we're born. Right. So it's like they do, they've done, I I think they've done tons of experiments on trying to get people to be able to be just like in a womb again. Right. And just be able to stay in that state. So, I mean, who knows, they could have even raised babies that they never let come out of water and seen how, how how old they could grow right instead of being a baby that was born out of water like they maybe they kept them in water i don't know i mean that could be potentially a lot of like the weird mermaid stuff that you see now could actually potentially be like government experiments um one thing that I've talked about recently on the show is this whole idea of like ninjin near the Arctic. And obviously we know there's a lot of weird government stuff going on in the Arctic. And it's really hard to find pictures of these things because all the information gets scrubbed so hard. And when you do find pictures, uh, it seems they're, they're all intentionally like really goofy Photoshop pictures. But uh, the Japanese government's like really on top of like making sure no information really gets out about like the ninjin. Uh, and essentially they're like these... They almost look like humanoid, um, like Arctic kind of like mermaid type people. Um, and again, this yeah. they could be because again, nobody can transvert can go to the Arctic unless you have government permission. It's the perfect place to start seeing if these adaptations work, and it could be generations of adaptations now. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I was like, what, the only people seeing them were the Japanese whaling boats? Mm-hmm. And they're not going to give up much information because it's a homogenous society. So you're not Japanese. What do they care that, that you, you hear about it? You know, you're just a tourist. So, so I can see how that information could be, you know, kept tight. And I think the closest simulation uh, similarity that I've heard is that, that I can relate it to is that they're supposed to be like, have you guys heard of this uh, anime called neon Genesis Evangelion? I've heard of it, but I haven't watched like, it. Yeah, yeah. They're like some kind of like the ninja are like some kind of underwater variant of an angel where it's like this gigantic creature that it's just adapted for water or something like that. From the depictions that I've seen, they're, they're basically, you know, it's supposed to be like whale-like, but they have, you know, the large forearms. And of course, I think you've seen the one, Shane, where they have the goofy face. Mm-hmm. So so that, that that's what I think. I don't, I don't know what to make of those. I, part of me wants to say that it's just an old wives tale, but as far as the cryptids out there, it is among one of my, that I consider really intriguing. Um, I'm trying to bring up the notes on it right now, but I actually have some Japanese folklore that does connect with that. And it could potentially be being used to, to kind of deter people away from what they really are. Or maybe there's stuff hidden in folk- folklore, um, and it's just a matter of perspective that's kind of just been uh, been thrown out and not looked at properly. Um, let's see here. Let me. I'm trying to find this part that I typed out in here. Um, yeah. While you're doing that, the Japanese folklore, as far as their creatures and 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 folklore cryptids and stuff, is is pretty wild. You know, everything from ice maidens to spider people. It's quite intriguing. Uh, okay, so th- this is what it says. Um, in some circles, a link has been drawn between stories of the ninjin and the ninjo, a creature from Japanese folklore. Ninjo is a term meaning f- uh, human fish, though it is often translated as mermaid. This fish-like creature is described as having a monkey's mouth, small fish-like teeth, golden scales, and quiet flute-like voice. It tastes delicious, uh, and eating it will greatly add to a person's lifespan. However, catching one was said to bring storms and misfortune. So if a fisherman ever caught one, they would typically throw them back to avoid the possible consequences. Uh, Seeing a ninja washed up on the beach is considered an omen of war or some other great calamity. Uh, So like that being said also, um, Hmm. I mean, it kind of fits in with uh, maybe again, this, these things have been around us forever and we've created this, uh, this different lore off of it. And it talks about how if you eat it, it potentially increases your lifespan. Um, maybe that's because it's some form of like genetically modified material, um, not in the means of like how we know it as far as food, but in like a positive way where maybe it has some type of going back to like the whole genes thing, something that almost like reverts aging where it's, it's seen all the time, like as far as like immortal jellyfish, for example, I mean, it's seen in different things in water. Maybe this potentially has some type of like tie to that DNA. And when it's mixed with human DNA, because clearly these things have a, have a humanoid figure. um, Maybe it just, it reacts with us properly. And it seems like more often than not, you talk about the ninja and it seems like the Japanese government kind of connects it with the ninja. And the reason for that could potentially be to one, deter it away from them and anything that the government's maybe doing all together and uh, trying to hide it under the whole idea of folklore or maybe in turn they tell people this so that they'll 
kill these things because maybe they are, you know, um, I guess like the reject experiments. So if people think that if they kill these things that they're going to be able to potentially live longer, it's almost like eliminating a problem for them because they don't have to worry about, you know, their old, pro- their old problems. If something just kills it and then the Japanese government just keeps everything under, 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 under wrap and under lock and key. So nobody really hears about anything really going on with it in Ninjo besides just the random pushed out stories that you hear from Japanese sailors. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing how much of our natural world is kept from us. I mean, not to take a page from the flat earthers, but the whole, you know, I mean, just look at it in, in the United States. We condense our population to towns and cities, but there's so much open space as well as natural forest, which is, you know, strictly forbidden from any of us even going into who knows what, you know, creatures and wonders are, you know, beyond that, even in our own continent, you know, let alone, you know, the wonders of Asia or Africa and all that nature. Because I think it was like Richard Nixon, he, he and Theodore Roosevelt were huge proponents of, of uh, conservation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people conject that they were some of the also that uh, Theodore Roosevelt, you know, saw a Bigfoot and had experiences with one. And then also, you know, I mean, Nixon, he was like, you know, you know, uh, shoot him up gun buddies with Elvis. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy surrounding around him. So who knows what kind of, you know, things that, that, that he was in, you know, some sort of, you know, besides from the, the obvious stuff that everyone likes to harp on him for, who knows what secrets he was privy to. And, and it's just this, this sort of thing, like, you know, who knows what's beyond the, the natural borders that we set for ourselves, even just in our in our own world, that maybe these things are hiding in there. And that's the that's the thing about the, the government is that they're hiding them. And maybe some of these things get loose or some of these things are exploited by us or we're maybe our government or whatever external entity, whatever them or other is trying to recreate, you know, some of these, these wondrous, you know, things that we have now regarded as Nephilim and such. I mean, even just to throw in another uh, interesting thing about uh, Roosevelt also, um, he actively was also trying to hunt the Jersey devil. So, I mean, I feel like he, he had an understanding of a lot of these different concepts. Um, Obviously it's, farther back in the timeline as far as like where technology was advanced. But I mean, it just shows the potential that even farther back, uh, be it through occult means, not necessarily like through the technology that we kind of see it through with the lens of today. Um, a lot of this like weird experimentation could have been going on and it could have been something that was done by humans or it could have been done, something done by something else. And depending on which lens you want to look at it from, it could be something extraterrestrial. Uh, it could be the Nephilim breeding with humans. And that's where you get the whole, if you just even look into like the whole backstory of like the Jersey devil to begin with, um, or even on the other side of it too. Um, the guy was an active hunter for a lot of this weird stuff. Um, maybe he was more in tune to what was going on and he was possibly trying to like eliminate these things. Yeah. I've, I've one of my back burner comic book ideas that I've had was sort of an idea of, um, Theodore Roosevelt, you know, basically fighting Bigfoot. And of course, because it's going to be, you know, because I would be doing it, of course, he would have a homoerotic twinge to it where he would be bare chested like Burt Kreischer, except (laughs) covered in muscles and stuff like this. And him and Bigfoot would be fighting, you know, you know, man to man. And, 
and every <laughs> single instance would you know would have his shirt getting ripped off you know and his rippling muscles and stuff like that but i don't know that that's just an idea that i put on the back burner but if you see that out there you know that it's like, yeah, that, that's one of Chris's ideas. I've been waiting for that to happen because enough of this, you know, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. I want to see Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt cryptid hunter. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's definitely something to the ocean, though, in marine life. Like, they're always trying to get us to look into outer space. But, like, the ocean is so crazy and vast. Like, the ocean is outer space in a way. It's like a different outer outer space mm-hmm. like it's like there's the amount of creatures and stuff that live in there and like who knows how much of the um like alien stuff's actually marine stuff like i think that's probably a really good lead to look into how much of it's really related to marine life mm-hmm. and like shane what you were talking about the those kind of like ancient you know immortal things like the hydra and stuff and like how much of the stuff they're extracting out of the ocean and then trying to either make it be able to live on land or vice versa or like i bet there's just so much research like that nasa's involved mm-hmm. in and stuff like with the ocean um you know that i think that getting us to look up and outwards is kind of a distraction away from you know the, the vastness of the of the ocean and what's really going on in there with all those different species and stuff like like you know in the hybrids they made with like octopuses and all that stuff like it's like something to it for sure I mean, they often say that the the my, micro mirrors the macro or the macro mirrors the micro, whatever which way you want to look at it. So potentially with that, you talk about the oceans and the reason why there could be such a vast interest in the ocean is because maybe they know that it mirrors the macro in the sense of I've heard a lot of people talking about this concept about there being... You know, you hear about like space is water, space is this, but I don't necessarily believe in that. But I do entertain the theory that it could be another element or another form of a state of being that we're not fully in here to. Um, and that's when you get into these like weird cosmic plasma concepts. Um, I recently had Chaz the Dead on the show talking about it, and it connects with this whole idea of like B theory and uh, the whole idea about how things are able to levitate when you get into like a coral castle, for example, or potentially how the pyramids were built, um, that there's this, a fish doesn't realize that it's in water because it's always in water. So we could potentially be in a state that we don't realize. And it's just a matter of discovering it and realizing that we're in it. And that could be the key that unlocks all of this stuff is the fact that they, if everything is the plasma, then they realistically would just make something that vibrates. And then in turn, it's able to float on top of the plasma. Um, again, that could mirror what's going on in space. So maybe their idea on why they have like astronauts, for example, training in water is because they know that that's the closest means that we have to being able to understand this whole cosmic plasma concept. And in turn also maybe because of just the construct of how something floats on water and they take that and then they mirror it into how something would float on plasma. Um, they could be, they could have such an interest in the ocean because they know that how things move in the ocean could potentially be the best way about how things could move through this plasma or move through space. Yeah, that would account for a large, uh, large degree of the paranormal. I think I, I try to explain a similar uh, hypothesis with my paranormal cat model, where you have the cat in your arm and you're petting the cat, and then you turn your hand into a claw and attack the cat. And then the cat is fighting for his life, and then you take your hand away and don't make it a claw anymore. And the cat looks around like, what happened to the monster that was attacking me? I was fighting for my life just five minutes, just a second ago. As far as the cat knows, he was just chilling until a monster came out of nowhere and attacked him. And then he had to fight it off. 
But as far as we know, we're just playing with our cat, but you know, we're having totally different interactions. So that's sort of the model that I try to use to sort of explain in a way like, like you had just done Shane with the dimensional means of, you know, water to air to what could be whatever this third or fourth, you know, dimensional barrier that, whatever it is that's out there may be coming true and, 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 and invoking, you know, interactions with us. I mean, um, connecting in with all of that kind of stuff too, when it comes to like the whole like vibrational concept also, um, it seems like that would be like the best means of, being able to travel through any of this stuff anyways, because it essentially makes it so that you, you can float on, you can float on top of it. And that's where you get into, like I was talking earlier about how these things are vibrating at an ultrasonic frequency. Um, they're use they could potentially also be using that for, for the ocean travel. Um, try I have like a theory in my head that I'm trying to trying to kind of like word properly. So if any if one of you guys want to pop in for a second and so I can I kind of get I my know thoughts what you together. Mean, like how a salmon actually swims through water because it's propelling itself magnetically and then that's how they could have spacecraft that goes through space that doesn't need fuel because it's like propelling itself like electromagnetically. Exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't actually need like a fuel source at that point. Right. Because it's like bending itself to propel itself, like it's just squeezing itself forward through space time. Yep, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you were making uh, yeah. me laugh because um, I'm, my my friend Jess, he did mushrooms one time, and he, for some reason he must have missed the science class with Schrodinger's cat, and he never heard of it. And he was on mushrooms, and, everyone, and someone was talking about Schrodinger's cat, and he's like, "What's Schrodinger's cat?" And like all these people were trying to explain it to him, but he was on like trying to understand it when he was high on mushrooms, right? And it was just messing his head up like so bad, like it almost made him go insane, like trying to figure out Schrodinger's cat on mushrooms, right? Like, it was just the funniest thing ever, watching him try to, like, wrap mm. his head around it when he was on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is cute. <laughs> the, the, to, to get on the point that you two guys were talking about, there is this somewhat phenomenon of once one person experiences one faucet of the paranormal, they then experience multiple facets of the paranormal over time. And it makes me think how elements naturally draw themselves to each other. Like, let's say you're in water, so long as you, you know, you, you stay still and, and you have like, I guess I think you're supposed to have like air in your lungs, you'll, you'll naturally become buoyant and float to, to, uh, to the top, to the surface, whereas you know, that's like air drawing itself to more air. Whereas with water, if you spill water, water always finds its level. So it will always go to the most level thing with all the other commonalities with all the other water naturally. So maybe there's some paranormal element out there that once you experience it, it, it draws naturally to the to either whatever frequency or level or or buoyancy that it draws to the other whatever paranormal substance is made out of. So I guess that's why people who once they see a ghost, then they start seeing UFOs and so on. Just to entertain that's another theory gets broken. Kind of made me think of off of that too. Um so you have water and then the next layer on top of that would be like our ozone. And then the next layer on top of that would be like space, for example, which could be filled with like that plasma. But that could even be where this whole like interdimensional kind of concept comes into is that it's almost like layers on top of layers rather than like how we're looking at it, where 
things that are in the water aren't able to come out of the water because they're adapted to be in the water and they're not going to survive in the next level. And that continues on with, we can survive where we are right now, but we can't exist into the next layer because it's a more dense layer than like what we're able to handle or, and we can't breathe in it mm -hmm. same way that fish wouldn't be able to breathe outside of water. So extending past that, there could be another level of another state of being that whatever is able to transverse through this plasma stat or plasma, um, state or whatever can't go into that next level. Um, but the things that are in that level can go into the ones previous to it. Um, kind of like how a human can go and swim in water. They just might not potentially be able to stay in it for forever unless they're adapted to be able to stay in it or they use some type of special technology to be able to stay in it. Um, that could, it, that could literally be a, just a new way of looking at this interdimensional concept is that there are different layers of different types of states of matter sitting on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And the one at the top can go all the way down through all the layers, but the ones at the bottom, you can't go up a layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would also explain why whenever these intrusions happen, we suffer effects that we would, you know, that we would like mitigate from like, uh, I guess other layers. Like that's why, uh, Betty had, uh, radiation burns on her dress and on her skin and people who encounter UFOs, they experience, you know, radiation sickness and some people who like have, you know, encounters with uh, aliens and stuff like this, they have radiation stuff as well. I don't know if there's a case for that said for ghosts or, or cryptids of, of that nature. I'm sure that some people experience wooziness, but I don't know if they're tested for radiation or if they have a, like come in contact with enough that they would experience a burn of some type, maybe it's a different type of animal, but of, of, of that nature. But then that's probably because whatever those aliens are or, or whatever we deal them, they're from the deepest part of that layer. So they would have the most concentrated uh, part of that element. And it just happens to be radioactive to us. Like how, when you pull a fish out of water, it's going to dry out. You know, because it's not used to experiencing, because that's what our air naturally does. It It's like, it would be no different than one of us experiencing a radiation burn from going into the other element. I mean, that radiation too could potentially be what they need in order to be able to, to mm -hmm. breathe and to be able. So, it, so when they come into where we are, they might only be able to stay for a certain amount of time because they might need whatever that radioactive factor is in order to be able to breathe properly. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably why they frequent the 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 nuclear silos and stuff like that, you know, because it's it's familiar. I mean, that yeah, would even be that would even be even like the concept of you know, say the world is destroyed and humans, we know that we need plant life in order to be able to breathe properly in order to get everything that we need out of the air. So essentially, if you went to a foreign planet and everything was desolate and there was an area of trees the first place you're going to go try to go to and try to be around is that area of trees. Cause it's almost like a fresh breath before you try to explore the rest of the planet. And that could explain the whole, why they're drawn to radioactive areas is because maybe that's their breath of fresh air before they go and try to do other things. And maybe before they're even able to go back to where they came from, they have to stop by that area, get their breath of fresh air, take in their radiation that they actually need before they can continue back to where they're going. Yeah. Something of that nature, something of that nature. We should probably start trying to wrap it up here. Uh, Jamie, are you satisfied with all the rabbit holes that we've gone down? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add to that last <laughs> thing that like some of the conspiracy theories that I've just been reading about, like just changing the um, the frequency of the earth, like, you know, with the 5G and the chemtrails and all the like terraforming and stuff. And like um, just that, like they are trying to make it into a different 
um, set of laws um, so that the dimensions are more blurred so that some of these, um, you know, entities can be in this dimension. And so that's why a lot of the people that um, were getting like altitude sickness and stuff, right, because they are changing like the radiation levels and stuff and trying to like adapt it to, the, you know, the same way they're trying to adapt people to be able to breathe in the water. There might be that other dimension above trying to adapt this one so that they can come in to this one so it's just like another kind of thing to keep in mind with everything else that we discussed that mm-hmm. that's another theory i like how uh mm-hmm. this show started off where we just wanted to talk specifically about ufo abductions and rather than that it turned into a whole idea about different theories all pertaining to anything going with the uh, ufo phenomenon so i mean that being said of course i feel like we could definitely do more parts of this, um, maybe even do a part two where we kind of go back into more of the abduction concept that you wanted to get into. Um, but yeah, I feel like this, this opened up a doorway with a lot of stuff where I feel like our listeners are really going to enjoy this because I feel like a lot of them really enjoy the (laughs) theories. And, uh, again, it opens up the doorway to bring them even more interested into the whole, uh, UFO con or the whole abduction concept that you originally wanted to do. Like this is kind of a good stepping stone leeway to really get into what you really wanted to originally do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think next time I, we could definitely, I would like to dig more into screen memories mm-hmm. because I've got like a couple of cases that I think I could make a, a definite um, call on to that. And I know, Jamie, that there's a lot of, with the uh, satanic elements out there, mm-hmm. that screen memories are, you know, part of inducing trauma mm-hmm. and dealt with like a lot of the rabbit holes that you've gone down as well. So maybe we could revisit screen memories on, on the return. Yeah, and like hypnosis and memory and trauma and elect- like mm-hmm. electricity in the brain and that kind of stuff, I think would be really good to merge the two together. And um, just one last final thing that popped into my head was also just that like Ghislaine Maxwell had the Terramar thing and then like um, Epstein was doing the breeding thing too. And so just kind of to leave that last thought of like how those things might connect to everything we talked about tonight, kind of just maybe another little rabbit hole we can go down to. Just a little teaser for all the listeners on what we uh, <laughs> what what it will be coming in the future because we're a group of people that if we set our minds to something, it's definitely going to get done. So it's just a matter of when it's going to get done, but it, it's going to happen. So keep your uh, keep your ears and your eyes open for when that second part drops. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Shane, for for hosting uh, us, and and thank you, Jamie, for inviting me onto your paddle. I, I'm really grateful and, and thankful for you both for letting me be included in this episode. Same goes yeah, to both super, of you guys. Super fun. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, we got this group together. It weirdly enough ended up, I feel, kind of connecting through a chain of events where I had originally had Jamie on the show and then I had her on another time because she really wanted to do a show on the whole uh, porno conspiracy. And then off of that, uh, you found an interest in it and then you ended up connecting with Jamie and then we all ended up reconnecting off of that. So it's, it's I just want to point out, it's really cool how the chain of events of things happening all kind of happen for a reason. It always ends up resulting in something really cool. And I'm glad that this group of people came together and I feel like it definitely came together for a reason. Um, just even off of the idea of being able to expand on theories, um, not very often that there's a group of people that are able to sit down and do a panel like this and uh, not have certain parts where it kind of starts to get heated because of different ideas. Like we're all able to kind of come from different backgrounds and actually entertain everybody's ideas and not necessarily tell anybody that they're wrong. And I feel like that's one of the biggest downfalls when it comes to panels is that a lot of listeners don't enjoy listening to them uh, because they know that there's going to be this confrontational aspect to it. But at least for this group, the confrontation's not there. And I feel like it's really easy listening and it's a great conversation. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there were definitely parts there in the beginning where myself and Shane weren't on the same track, but we were able to, you know, just talk it out reasonably and bring in our our, our stuff that we're, we're, we did it to add to the conversation. We weren't trying to, you know, push each other out of the way, so to speak. Speaking of uh, porn, I think we should do another show on interdimensionals, alien porn, and um, like some of the pornographic elements of the ab abductions and how that all ties into. Um, I think that would be another good show. <laughs> I feel like if we dug uh, deep like, enough like on the so deep web, there's probably some form of high government elite alien porn. <laughs> <laughs> there's oh, dolphin porn. There's yeah, alien we're porn. Gonna, we're going to get into that dino erotica. Like the rep <laughs> reptilians are, love their porn. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that I def I, the the rep the 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 I guess the rape lust of the reptilians. That that's definitely something that yep. I used to hear of back in the day about how they were just you know just wild about that, and now. I guess there's like a, a reprogramming going on where everybody's trying to repaint the reptilians as these lovey dovey, you know, peace and the higher stuff. And I'm like, wait, that, that, that's not the guys I grew up with. <laughs> if anything, they're more primal. Cause I mean, realistically rape is strictly a human concept in the aspect of the only yeah. reason why we acknowledge it as a negative thing is because we're moral people and we have a means to want to do good and not harm others in the process. But you look at it anywhere else in nature and rape isn't like what we perceive it as rape. Like we'll say that like all oh, this lizard, for example, yeah. is raping this other one because there's like this battle and this fight, but in nature it's, it's not looked at the same way. And that well, being it's, said, it's also like it's the if, same with the reptilians. They may not look at it as yeah. rape, but just like reproducing, like how things would naturally do in nature. Yeah. If it's not used to establish dominance in a pecking order with, with pack animals, then it's used for reproductive purposes only, you know, as of us, I think we're the only ones that, that, you know, that, that rape, you know, as a means of like so-called for for pleasure for sick twisted pleasure and 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 it's like we only do it like nefariously yeah it's just interesting with the medical like experimentation but there's just such a like the the rape element of the abductions like i think that's just two really interesting mm -hmm. things we could definitely go on to in part two let's just kind of look at how those definitely. are kind of connected right Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it would end up being Absolutely. a great show, especially with, again, this panel of all the different perspectives <laughs> that we all kind of come with. Like, it's a good, it's a good group. <laughs> I guess uh, with that said, of course, since we're starting to wrap up here, uh, it's probably a good time for everybody to do roll call. So that being said, of course, uh, the person who originally organized this idea, I feel, should go first. So, uh, Jamie, uh, yes. let everybody know where they can come and uh, find you at. Oh man, I'm still, I still don't have anywhere you can find me, but you can Google me and you, and, um, yeah, I just tell people if they really ever want me to come on their show, they have to find me. And if you can find me, I'll come on your show, but I still don't have a, a website set up or anything. So you're just going to have to kind of hunt around if you want to find more of my shows, Google my name, Jamie J. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Chris roll call for you, my friend. Yeah. You can find me at Conspire Theory Podcast. That's Conspire Theory anywhere you find podcasts. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me primarily on Instagram at Conspire Theory, all one word. Conspire Theory, same for Twitter. If you guys enjoyed this unconventional episode,
Don't forget to leave a rating over on Spotify or take an extra 30 seconds to leave hopefully an awesome five-star review over on iTunes that I can give you guys a shout out for and of course read on the show. Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, uh, you guys can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, you guys can also shoot me a message on Instagram, uh, the Telegram or the Discord, any of the forms of social media. Just find a way to come and contact me. Or you can go to the link tree, fill this submission form. That'll go directly to my email, of course. And uh, Make sure that you keep an eye on your spam or junk folder. Make sure nothing gets lost because I do respond to every single email that I get. And if it's been a weird amount of time and I haven't replied yet, maybe it somehow got missed on my end. So don't hesitate to shoot me a second email. You're not going to be bothering me. I'd love to sit down and be able to talk to all you guys. So um, make the contact because I definitely want to be able to put a face to all you guys. And uh, everything that I mentioned, all available under the link tree, which is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast. And with, with that... I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.